Welcome to Career Tools. Today's show, asking your network for an opportunity. Here we go. So, Mark, recently we were asked how a member should let his network know that he's looking for a new position. Now, this particular right. this guy, his company was going under, right, and right. so it wouldn't it wouldn't exist in the future. It's surprising to me that the, the angst people have about yeah, what do they do under these situations? How do they reach out to folks? Um, some folks feel that they can be open and candid with folks. It's it's real easy for them, and others they want to keep their search confidential. In either case. What do they do? What do they say to folks? How do they approach that? Because his company's going under, it's easy. There, there's no negative. People may not understand that, but there's no negative repercussions for being at a company where it goes under, at least compared to getting laid off or getting fired, right? Yeah. So, so even though in his case, his search was unintended, that's probably a better word than that, or um, not self-inflicted, <laughs> Um <laughs> He could easily say, hey, look, I'm at XYZ, and unfortunately, our company's um, clearing bankruptcy or whatever. It doesn't reflect on him, so he can be open. On the other hand, if you get laid off or, or if your company's doing well and you're leaving, people wonder, how do you ask people to help you in the search? And you know, this is Career Tools, and we try to get down to the specifics. And if you read 20 articles about this, you'll get, you'll get all kinds of vague guidance about, yes, do talk to your friends. Uh, but but people ask us, what exactly do I say? How do I say it? When do I say it? Where do I say it? And that's what this cast is about. So four recommendations. First of all, email is okay. You can reach out through email. There are some caveats there. We'll go through those. Okay. It's not perfect. You don't send broadcast emails out to everybody. Number two, you don't go straight for the jugular. You begin by reconnecting with people. Number three, give them some idea of what you want. And then number four, the key when it comes to job searches is follow up, follow up, follow up. Okay. Now, I'm surprised to hear your first point that email is okay. I mean, you're you're Mr. Uh, communication, right? And email is <laughs> devoid a lot of the nuances of face-to-face or verbal communication. So I thought you were going to say Mr. Pain in the Butt or something like that, you know. Oh, well, I, yeah, or, that's or Mr. Scold or something. Not on air. No, I might, email. I'm sure that privately, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, it is far, far better to make personal contact with the people you want to help you. And And to tell you the truth, I struggle with people who tell me things like, I'm really frustrated by my search. I sent out, you know, a blast email. It's been two weeks. I haven't heard anything. Look, folks, if somebody included you in an email to a hundred people, would you feel reached out to or would you feel like you got spammed? I always say it this way. If you're one of a hundred people who got an email, now maybe it's because of my role and the number of people I've helped in terms of job transitions, but, but I've always had this feeling of, am I number 100 or am I number five? And, and not because I need to be number five, but because because there's no distinction, there's no discrimination between the top 100, I don't know whether he thinks he really should expect something from me or I'm just somebody who's in his uh, electronic database, in his phone or whatever, where he has an email address. And well, it's even worse today with Facebook and LinkedIn and, yeah. you know, folks have much longer email lists than they used to, right? That used to be the yeah. the providence of, of companies having big, long email lists, but now people right. have contact lists that are pretty substantial. 
Yeah. And then they make this the mistaken assumption that they're that they they mistakenly assume that because I have their contact information, they're my friend. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> yeah, issue. Exactly. You have to listen to our MySpace, MySpace and Facebook cast to to hear that distinction. But it's way better to reach out to people individually. If you if you send a broadcast email, you're just you're asking for vagueness back from everybody. Look, if you had the time and energy, it would be best, it would be ideal to share a meal with every person who you think can help you in your search. We know that though, if you've been following our guidance, you have over a hundred people in your network, so you can't share a meal with everybody. So by definition, we're off of ideal. But just because we're, we, we can't do ideal doesn't mean we should le- easily jump to most easy, right? Email is certainly efficient for us, but it's not effective for the listener, for the receiver. Even if you start taking 11s, as, as Wendy says, and, 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 uh, which for Americans, that's like a snack at 11 o'clock in the morning and go have coffee with somebody nearby where you used to work. Even if you took afternoon tea, like, like Wendy does, it would take you 20 days to see all 100 of your acquaintances if you used every meal. So by definition, email is okay. But I would argue that there, as we said, there's some caveats. Most people, as I alluded to earlier, tier their network, right? There's a, there's a people who are your personal friends, either inside or outside of work. There are people you hang out with and invite to, to Sunday afternoon barbecues. There are people you work closely with in the recent past, people who have been on joint task forces, customer collaboration teams with you. Those people in your mind are likely to be most help in your search, assuming that you're likely to stay in a similar role, you know, which alludes to the question I ask everybody. I ask people who ask me for help, which is, what do you want to do and where do you want to do it? Uh, and if, if it's the same basic thing in the same basic location, those people who you've been hanging around with the last year are probably in your top tier. Then there's the people you've had some contact with in the role you've been in, or those in the recent past anyway, customers, suppliers, people you talk to once a month or once a quarter in the role you're in. And then there are those people who maybe you've met once. Now, look, there are people you've met once who might be in the top group because they're a recruiter or they have a fabulous network. That that could happen. But basically, our point is there's some tearing in your mind about the relative value for your search of people who are acquaintances, contacts, friends, close associates. Your inclination is to talk to most to those people closest to you, to your personal friends, to your current colleagues about what you want to do. This is totally natural, right? You feel closest to those people. You can be most open and you can be yourself with them. You know, we see people all the time. We hear of people all the time having lunch with those people and saying, I'm thinking about looking for something new. And the people they meet the least those on the outside of the network are the ones to send an email to. But folks, this is backwards, okay? Yeah, look, it's, it's totally okay to tear your network into those closest and those furthest away from you, furthest not being a, a linear distance, right? Think about it. Those closest to you are likely to have the most information to help you. If someone already works on your team, they probably have an immediate network that's very similar to yours. You probably know 80% of those same people. If you're serious about your search, you need to have the most direct and rich contact with those who are furthest away from the center of your network. Mm. Makes sense. 
Now, we understand that physical distance can make this hard, and we don't want to make it just about physical distance, but breakfast, leavens, lunch, afternoon tea, after work drinks, even dinner with those people who may not, who, who may be a little bit more distant, whom, who still are people you're going to let know that you're looking. If you send an email to 50 people, even if you do it individually, which is great, it's way better, God, it's way better than a blast. If you send an email to 50 people whom you barely know, I can promise you 90% of them are just going to ignore it because they understand that you barely know them. You're not calling them. You're not trying to have a drink with them. So therefore, you're taking the, the path of least resistance. You're making it easy for them to say no. And they probably think, oh, he's only sending an email because he knows I'm not going to do anything for him because I'm kind of on the outskirts of his network. And so it, it's easy. His, his email sends me a message that it's okay to say no. But look, those people who are most distant offer to buy him a drink after work, offer to, to have lunch with them, right? If you don't know them very well, if you want to know them better, if you think knowing them better will help you get an opportunity, then okay, eat with them. Just say that. Hey, I want to get to know you better. Would you like to have lunch? Would you like to have a drink uh, after work? Would you turn down someone who asked you that who knew you? You might turn them down because you're busy or you have family obligations, but but I think just because they say, I want to get to know you better, or hey, I'm, I'm thinking about expanding my network, you know, I, I feel like there are all kinds of people I could, I could know better, shoot, I, I'd be motivated to do that. It's a little bit hard for me with my travel schedule, but it seems like every few client trips, somebody takes me aside and say, hey, look, when do you have to go to the airport? And uh, I said, well, I don't go to tomorrow morning. They said, well, can I, can I buy you a drink? Uh, can I buy you and Mike a drink? Let's get to know each other better. You seem like guys who are really cool. I want to stay in touch with them. Yeah, okay. We'll go have a drink for half an hour and chat, and then we'll uh, go back and do email. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Now, there are plenty of people listening to this going, I don't know if I want to do this. Ah. Right? Now, we're not suggesting that you should blow off your friends at all in terms of, oh, just send your friends emails. But even though we've caveated the people we're okay with you sending email to, email is okay. We'd rather you only send email to people you don't see in person regularly and the people in the middle of your network in terms of those concentric tiers of closeness. But we do know you're going to send emails to some people uh, despite our guidance. And I'm just going to say it for the record here. It's not okay to blast out something from LinkedIn or a Facebook announcement or a tweet or a mass mailing. Well, okay. You can do it. It's okay. It's just terribly ineffective. And it just makes it easy for people to read the email and then ignore it. Okay. We know you're, you're protecting yourself from rejection by putting the least amount of investment into that person and that contact you're sending the email to. But look, again, this is where I was going with it kind of annoys me that people Say, I'm really frustrated that I'm not getting anything when I sent an email a couple of weeks ago. You put the least amount of investment in something, and then when you don't get a return, you're annoyed about it? Um, it just That just doesn't make sense to me. If you want your contacts to be effective, there's going to be some risk, and that means reaching out to them, being personable about it, and staying in touch with them, which we'll talk about later. Good. Okay, so we reach out. So, say we you know, even have, uh, I have lunch with somebody. What do I do? Sit down and order food and then say, okay, do you know anyone who has a job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think people, you know, listening are going to immediately react. Well, okay, that wouldn't be the way to start. Yeah. But people worry about that. How do I start? I haven't talked to the person in five years. <laughs> what, what, I just sit down and ask for a job? 
You never ask that. Anybody who has a job, you begin by reconnecting with the person. The fact is we all do this naturally, but when we get into a job search, Wendy and I, Mike, we've seen some pretty unnatural behavior. If you run into somebody in the supermarket that that lives near you, that works in a similar field and might have a potential opportunity for you or know somebody who knows somebody, uh, and you, you see them for the first time in a while, in a few months, what do you do naturally? What comes naturally? You say, hey, how are you? You wait for their response. And when you both said, I'm fine, you ask about their kids, their hobby, how they, you know, how they got on with building the shed they were talking about building, their vacation, whatever. That's how people reconnect with one another. Whether it's in person or by email, you begin by reconnecting. If I were going to send an email to somebody and I wanted to reconnect, even though, in fact, it may be that at some point in the near term, I'm going to want them to help me. The first thing I'm going to say is, hey, it's been a while. Hope you're doing okay. You know, how was your, how were your holidays? Or, you know, hey, how did the move go? Something like that. That's how you reconnect with people. If you're having a meal with somebody, don't get to the third step of the cast, which is giving them some idea of what you want until your dinner plates arrive. That's a, by the way, that's a pretty standard etiquette technique, which is you don't talk about the main order of business of a meal until you're at the main course of the, of the meal. So during, during drinks, And during appetizers, if in fact those come, you're talking about family and friends and how things are going and so on. And you're you're catching up on them and they're catching up on you without clarity around, hey, I want X from you. So until then, until the dinner plates arrive, until the main course arrives, or until your lunch arrives, stay personal. Stay away from the primary focus of the conversation. If you're having coffee, drink at least half of your coffee before you move to step three. In an email, you got to include at least one paragraph before step three. And if you ask me, I would reach out to them, say how it's going. And by the way, in the case we're talking about here, somebody was losing their job imminently. If you know three months in advance or six months in advance that you're going to think about making a search, right? I don't know why people don't do this. They wait until, oh, I'm going to resign and then I suddenly have to have a search. Our recommendation is don't let your resignation drive your search and then resign. And so... If you know six months in advance, reach out to somebody six months in advance and say, hey, how's it going? What, you know, just just reconnecting. Thought about you the other day when I was at a baseball game, maybe because you played baseball with them in college or or you went to a ball game together when you were in an internship program at Accenture or whatever it might have been. And you reach out to them and you say, how's it going? And then you can send a couple of emails before you say, hey, by the way, I'm thinking about making a change. And by then, you've warmed up this cold relationship enough that they're more likely to do something on your behalf. They're more likely to send an email. They're more likely to make a phone call on your behalf. But if you don't want to take that long, if your search is imminent, as in the case of this person whose company was going under, um, you've got to put at least one paragraph of chit chat of personal stuff before you get to step three. For you high D's out there who want to get right to the point right in the beginning, you're wrong. In some cases, there's it's good to be a high D when a decision needs to be made. There are other cases when it's not good. This is a case where the first sentence is, hey, I'm trying to decide to change jobs. I'm wondering if you can offer me some help. If you haven't talked to this person, if you don't have a connection with them, if it hasn't warmed up a little bit, even a paragraph worth of warming up, it's going to hit them square in the face in a way that's not helpful. Look, the relationship between two people is a bit like a rubber band. The longer you've gone between conversations and the more trivial the subject, 
the more stretched the band is. And a stretch band is, is weaker, right? If you want to stress the band by asking for something, it's unwise to do it while it's already stretched. If you reconnect a little bit, it brings you closer together. You remind them of the shared values and shared interests, shared background you have. The band contracts somewhat, somewhat, so it's stronger again. It can take stretching. It's much more likely to be able to take the stress you're about to put on it when you stress and say, hey, I need a favor. And look, that's another reason why you need to have a richer form of communication with those further away in your network, because those bands are already stretched. Now, I know there are some people who are saying, well, wait, I'm in San Francisco. The people most distant from me in New York, I can't have lunch with them. We understand that. For those people that you can, we want you to do that. And then we want you to wait and reconnect first before you start asking for things. Good. Well, I've said it before. I mean, Mike, how many times have I said it? People don't pay attention to their network. They're busy. They got their head down, right? They're working, they're working, they're working. Suddenly things aren't good for whatever reason. And now they've got to ask a bunch of people whom they haven't talked to in a year. They've got to ask them for help. And then they don't even put a warming paragraph in their email. Amazing to me. Frustrating. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's, it's unfortunate people don't get that because when they most need their network, they're not prepared. That's, yeah. uh, that's yep. terrible, frankly. Now, what about folks... Um, they're not the brash ones. They're not the ones that are likely to sit down, have lunch with somebody, just immediately blurt out before the waiter even arrives at the table that they need a job. Their concern is one of, they, they understand they're asking a favor. They're, they understand that the rubber band is stretched a little bit and they're nervous. They're anxious about it and feel embarrassed, uncomfortable, and have a difficult time of telling somebody, hey, I'm looking for a job. Is there maybe a better way to think about that? Yeah, look, we, we know that. It certainly happens. But look, other people aren't mind readers, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine that the the, the thing, to, I mean, maybe it's like pulling off a Band-Aid. You should just pull it off really, really fast. Uh, just go ahead, boom, and ask for it. Um, but I <laughs> That's said, one way to think about it. I yeah. Guess. The people who are uncomfortable doing it are going to like, no, I'm not going to do that at all. But you have to ask them. I understand that people might feel embarrassed, but people aren't mind readers. And Luck is what you make it to some extent. If you want that lucky coincidence, which leads to a great opportunity for you, you have to ask for it. And, and what I would say is this. I mean, we could probably talk people through that individually. It depends on where their fear comes from and so on. Since we're talking to tens of thousands of people right now, I would say if you want an opportunity to present itself, but you feel uncomfortable and so you don't do anything, then sorry, you may feel justified that you avoided the pain and suffering of the moment of fear and self-loathing that you have to ask for something when you really feel uncomfortable about it. But look, if you avoid that and you don't get what you want, don't complain to me. You know, part of being a professional is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, whether you want to or not. And this is a case of being a professional. And so these, this, the conversation exists for you to tell people. Now, you can make it less excruciating for both you and for the person you're asking. Look, stay light, stay breezy. It helps. And this is, I'm stunned by this. No, I can't get anybody to do this, it seems like. Practice what you're going to say out loud at home. We've recommended this a number of times before, including the, the getting fired cast, right? Me and Wendy can both say I was fired with a totally light and breezy tone because we've done it so many times. Wendy says it took her a lot more practice than me. If you say it often enough, it starts not to matter. You just say, well, how many times have I said at a conference? When people ask how the company was formed, I say, well, first I was a consultant and then Mike was a client. And oh, by the way, you know how you start a consulting firm, don't you? 
get fired. That's what happened to me. Uh, I can I can make it a joke. It's not that big a deal. And I'm sure my former bosses wish they hadn't fired me now. And why can we say it? it? It's not because we wish that we would get fired tomorrow or that getting fired is a lovely moment in everybody's life, although it's a really helpful professional development moment. It's not that we love that 5% of the audience will raise their eyebrows and go, apparently he or she's not that good. It's that we've said it so often, it doesn't bother us anymore. We recognize, just like in Indiana Jones in the first movie in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he thinks he's going to get shot. He doesn't get shot. And he realizes that's how you feel when you get fired. It's like, oh, apparently it's not as bad as I thought. And when you start saying it, it just starts not to be a big issue. Okay, but but let, let's flip it a little bit. What about a good example? You've been in the role for a couple of years and you're looking for a step up. You're halfway through an opportu- uh, through your coffee one morning and a pause comes up with someone whom you're having coffee with and you say this. So, Bill, you know I've been at XYZ for a couple of years now. I love the company. I definitely want to stay in manufacturing, product manufacturing. It's great. But I'm beginning to think I'm ready for the next step. I'm thinking second line manager in a manufacturing plant in, in the Red Rock area. In the next six months to a year, I'm not really in any hurry. I want to find the right thing for me. If you hear anything you think I might be interested in, will you let me know? And then you move on with the conversation. That, that's it. It's not, it's not hard. That sounds pretty easy. Yeah. And now, obviously, if you got fired, it may be hard. And so maybe you'll need to sit in front of the mirror and say, well, I got fired. And then the fir- I promise you the first 20 times you say it, it's going to feel a little weird. And then the 30th and 40th time in front of the mirror, it's not going to feel that bad. And then the first time you say it to someone outside of your home at lunch or over coffee or whatever, it's going to feel as bad as during that first 20 times. But after you've done it two or three times, you're going to stop at a bus stop and somebody's going to say, hey, it's two o'clock. I thought you'd be at work. And you turn them and say, now I got fired. And there'll be a moment where you go, well, that wasn't that hard. And I don't care what that person thinks of me. And if somebody thinks less of me because my boss was an idiot or because the company laid off 300 people, I mean, I've actually had people say, I'm not going to tell people I was laid off. I'm going to tell people I was fired just to get used to it. And they did fine because they had a good enough network that made it happen for them. Okay. But let's suppose that that in, in that last example, you're looking for something better, right? This is how to ask your network to help you find your next job. It's not how to have your network help you find a job when you desperately have to have one. That is one possible example, but there are many potential examples and we just gave you a good one. But let's choose a more difficult one. It's the same situation. You're drinking coffee with Bill. The right moment comes up and says, hey, Bill, I'm sure you've heard I got fired from XYZ. Management and I agreed my performance and quality on the line wasn't good enough. So now I'm looking for something new. I think my strengths lie and shift organization rather than managing the line. So I'm looking to do that in the Red Rock area. I'd like to find something sooner rather than later, but obviously I'm looking for a better fit between my strengths and the company's needs this time. If you hear anything I might be interested in, would you let me know, please? Even that, which starts with an omission of guilt or fault, you can totally have in in a light and breezy tone. If you think firing is terrible, and then you discover after talking to 100 people, which Wendy and I and thousands of other people have have experienced. It's not that bad. Suddenly you realize I can talk about this breezily. It's not that big a deal. It is your emotional feeling about your self-worth that causes your potential statement of a negative to be a problem. Other people don't have a problem with it. 
Someone who's never met you before, if you sent them a cover letter to a resume and say, I got fired from my last job because I didn't perform well, okay, that's going to be a strike against you, okay? But you're not going to be having coffee. You're not going to be sending emails out to people who know nothing about you. The problem people have with stating something potentially negative about themselves, folks, I can assure you, you are disassociating yourself from the problem. The problem is not other people. The problem is you and your fear, your self-doubt, your lack of self-confidence that it's going to be a bad thing. But I've been told by hundreds of people that got fired, it doesn't bother me terribly. I'm sure Mike, Mike's never been fired before because he's just the better of the two of us. And, <laughs> and so, but he's been told, you know, I got fired, you know, and it's like, okay, fine, whatever. It happens. And I, I'd love to hear from people who say, yeah, I'd be willing to hear from a friend of mine. They got fired. It's not the end of the world. I, you know, they're a friend of mine or I've worked with them before. I know how good they are. My opportunity perhaps to hire them. Apparently, you know, I had heard before that his boss was a jerk or the company was struggling or whatever, or it wasn't a good fit. Okay. Stuff happens. Wow. It must not be such a bad thing because some of the most professional and well-performing folks I know have been fired. So what they do, just get good all of a sudden? I, I don't Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, yeah, suddenly they got, no, I'll tell you what happened. The reason a lot of people get fired, particularly executives, is because they took risks. Exactly. You know, and, and an executive will tell a friend of your, friend of his or hers, well, I got fired, when in fact, what they said was, hey, I resign, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on, I'm going to do something different. And, you know, executives don't get fired unless they do something really egregious. Um, they embezzle or harass somebody. Executives don't get fired. They get asked to resign to pursue other opportunities. And that's what they do. But they know they got fired. Why do you get fired? Well, if you're running a division and you believe the answer is not in the cheap products you've been doing, but an upscale product, and you try for two years to make your upscale product launch work and it doesn't work, you get fired. You know, somebody says, hey, this is not working out. We need performance here. And you've been slacking off on the core products that have brought in all of our revenue and, and margins for years going after this this thing you think. Sorry, it didn't work, but it's not working. We need somebody to deliver deliver the deliver the mail. And and the person goes, Yeah, you're right. Sorry. And when they're done, I'm amazed that people sit with them and and, and they say, uh, and, and people sitting with them are stunned to discover that the person says, no, I think I was doing the right thing. I just did it poorly. I would do the same thing over and over again. I don't believe that that line, what they're doing now, is going to get them where they want to go. And so I I had a different plan. Sometimes people say, no, I was wrong. I really realize now that they didn't have the, 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 um, the skills and I needed to wait a year or more before I tried to do what I was going to do. But they don't feel getting fired is a bad thing. They They feel that not achieving their objectives is a bad thing right? They said they would and they didn't, but they don't blame the company for doing it. And they don't think it makes them any less of a person. Surely it couldn't. If in fact, they said, I would do it again. When I got fired, I would have done everything I did again. So it's not as bad as you think. And of course, this cast is not just about that. If, if you're smart folks and you're thinking in the next year, if you're listening to this cast and sometime in the next year, you're going to be considering a move or a move is possible. You need to start strengthening your network, reach out to them first, casually, informally, strengthen the friendship, unstretch the rubber band a little bit. And if you have time, don't mention the same email that you're thinking about moving. If you do have time and you can get, uh, you can get together for coffee or lunch or breakfast or dinner or whatever, then bring it up at dinner and ideally, if you have two dinners, great. In the first dinner, just get to know each other. And then three months, reconnect with each other. And three months later, then mention that you're looking. Yeah. 
What about if um, there's some sensitivity around confidentiality? I want to keep my search confidential. Any guidance there? Yeah. Every executive we know, every executive we know is always open to considering a possibility. Doesn't mean they're unhappy where they are. It doesn't mean they're about to be fired. It doesn't mean anything other than they are taking care of their career. Now, you notice we say every executive, okay? We're not saying every manager. Or even every professional, right? Yeah, the reason why is because it's a misconception of people lower in the organization, managers and individual contributors, that there is either searching or not searching. There's not. There's searching. There's not searching, right? I'm where I am. Mike, I'm assuming Mike is with me on this one. We're not searching for jobs. But there's a third category, which is open to discussions. For instance, I have a friend of mine a number of years ago. He was in Charleston, South Carolina. His wife was from Connecticut. He was from Connecticut. And they always thought they retired to Connecticut. Okay. Um, for those of you outside the U.S., Charleston, South Carolina is in the southeastern United States. It's warm. It's humid. Uh, Connecticut is, is if you know your map of the United States, Connecticut is just east right next to New York City. And uh, they always picture themselves living in an American federal home, which is an architecture style, by the way, and having a big lawn. And if they did well, down by the ocean. And um, he was having a very successful career. He was building um, telecommunications products. And um, his wife had uh, coffee with uh, a lady she knew that was living back in Connecticut. It was down for vacation or something down in Myrtle Beach or something. And uh, he says, oh, my husband is starting a company up in Connecticut in the financial industry. And it's actually a company that supports hedge funds. And uh, they do a lot of processing, a lot of, and, and, and as it, com- it turns out, this guy's experience for this telecommunications manufacturer was in finance and operations and big systems, really, really complex systems. And as it turns out, this particular guy was looking for an opportunity, looking for somebody to run his financial operations, the back, the back office stuff, which is really telecom and, and uh, software and so on. And he didn't need somebody from, from the industry. He just needed somebody who would work brutal hours and, and uh, be totally supportive. So what happened was this one guy's wife says to the other one, you know, we've always wanted to move back to Connecticut. And the wives agree, oh, yeah, let's have him talk. So what happens? This guy down in, in Charleston says, gets the email address and sends a note and says, hey, our wives apparently have talked. They're good friends. I'm sure there's nothing. I just want you to know someday I'd love to get to Connecticut, hope to get to know you better, so on. And uh he figured he, this was a way to introduce himself and to start the process of getting warm. The guy writes back, says, send me your email, send, send me your resume. So he sends a resume and he makes a couple of comments like, you know, don't poop on anything else. The guy calls like two hours later and says, you want to come to work for me? <laughs> the guy says, well, you know, certainly it'd be, it'd be a, you know, we're, we're thinking about that some in the future. He says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I got to make some decisions here. You want to come to work for me? The guy says, well, what do you offer me? He says, A, B, C, D. And the guy basically gets the job of his dreams. Okay, now, the guy wasn't looking. He was not looking, but he's not stupid. When you're not looking, you're open to discussions. And if you're keeping your search confidential, he's not going to tell anybody at this company he was working with in South Carolina. If you're keeping your search confidential, that's fine. Act like an executive and always be open to discussions, even though you're not in a search. So halfway through your coffee, you say, 
hey, Bill, I heard that ABC is doing some really interesting things with their plastics division. I'd love to talk to somebody over there about what they're doing. If you meet anybody over there, would you put me in touch? Hmm. Didn't say you were in a search. <laughs> no, right. Yeah. Yeah. And do executives like to meet and keep up with other people in the industry? They Absolutely. do. And, and that's what you're doing. Now, now there's some people going, well, Mark, I'm not an executive. Folks, the point is executives are better at searching than you are. You could be, you could behave like an executive, even if you're a manager or an individual contributor. If you're an individual contributor in the plastics business and you don't know anybody in the plastics business, but those people at your company, then you don't have a strong enough network yet. I remember going to Milwaukee for years and, um, there was competition for the, our client in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee area. And a couple of times I talked to managers like, oh, there were competition. We wouldn't talk to them. I said, why not? They may have really good people. I want my really bad people to go to work for them. And I want their really good people to come to work for us. I want four or five contacts over there, right? Just because you never know. It's not because I'm searching. It's because I'm smart about the industry. And the more I know about what they're doing, that might be helpful to me in some other way about uh, competitive information or just about industry information in general. And all, all of this, what you're doing, you can have a confidential discussion with somebody, you're open to opportunities, and yet you're not searching. And that's the way you start it. You want to start uh, the process of, of strengthening your network in the event that you may, in fact, do a search. And so you say, hey, I'm open to the possibility of talking to somebody. And you do that. And, and it's not the same thing as saying I'm ready to interview, but it's better. And it, it, you've already warmed up the relationship and it strengthens and broadens your network, uh, even if it's in a virtual way. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's say I reach out to my network as it is. I go through one round of this and I don't get any job offers or contacts that, you know, seem like they're going to lead uh, in the short term to a position. Have I, have I screwed up in some way? Is that, is that an atypical experience? No, I think you're completely normal. And I think you're likely to do the completely normal thing, which is to whine about, uh, you know, I sent some emails. I didn't get anything back. And then stop, right? It doesn't work. This network yeah. this building my network thing doesn't work. So I stop. <laughs> you know, the chances of the perfect opportunity falling in somebody's lap and the first conversation they have with the first person in their network are one in a billion it just doesn't happen. Look, people want things that they fear, that they know they have to go through. They want them to end up to be easy after all. Something that you fear that's going to take months of hard work and you're going to be, quote, fearful, unquote, throughout it, that just scares people. And so people have a cognitive dissonance between I fear it and yet I know it's going to take a lot of time. So what they assume is it's not going to, the way they solve their fear is they say, well, it's not going to take a lot of time. And then they compound their fear with complaining that, oh, it didn't happen immediately. Yeah. I mean, I, I planted the seeds, I watered them and they didn't grow. I, I can't believe it. It's, yeah. it's been a whole two days. <laughs> yeah. It's been two days. Yeah. So look, it doesn't happen. You have to keep working at it. Luck is the residue of design. Fortune favors the prepared. Okay. If you're in a search, even a casual, long-term I'll move when I find the right opportunity search. You need to keep reaching out to your network. People will help you, but they're unlikely to do it if you don't remind them. Now, you can't whine after the third one. Gee, I thought you'd be a better friend in, in this way, but you can reach out every month for months to somebody. Hey, still looking. Just want you to know, keeping my options open. Okay. Think of somebody you know at work who drives more or less the same route as you. One day their car's in the shop. 
If they asked, would you give them a ride? Sure you would. Yeah. Would you then ask them every day, do you need a ride today? No, you wouldn't. Would you feel bad if a month later they said my car is in the shop again? Would you mind giving me a ride? No, you wouldn't. Now, if they ask every week for months, every week for months, you might be a little bit put upon. But if it's a couple of times and they did something for you in return, if they brought you your lunch one morning or whatever, um, since you're going out of your way a little bit, you'd probably do it. And that's what it's like with your network. People are selfish. In fact, Mike, didn't you recommend a book called The Selfish Gene to me a number of years I ago? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Folks, in order to have to feel, in order to have political systems which believe in individual rights, there has to be some selfishness, which which the word, of course, has bad connotations. But you have to be somewhat self-motivated as an individual. It's the human condition to, to be primarily concerned with ourselves. When we're reminded of others, we're more willing to help them than if we hadn't thought about them in six months. In order to get somebody to help you, they have to be reminded about you. You have to be the one doing the reminding. If somebody gives you a lead or some help in some way, you even then follow up. Please follow up on the lead that they recommend. You don't know how many times we get emails from people saying, help me, please. We help them and then we never hear from them again. We don't know if our help actually helped them or hindered them. It's like, no, I'm not helping him again right? There are a couple of people uh, in the hundreds of thousands that listen to us and the shows have been downloaded millions of times. There are a couple of people, Tom Hausman is one, who every once in a while sends me a note and stays in touch. Probably of all the people, other than that, there's probably about 10 or so folks over the course of the the last six years that have reached out to me on a regular basis. And Tom Hausman is the most consistent. And he just sends a note every once in a while saying, hey, this happened to me, or I want you to know that this happened to me. He asked me for a favor recently. I was able to, to help him. And he followed up with me and has stayed following up with me about the, the favor he asked me uh, for. It's amazing. And, and I have people all the time coming to me after the conference saying, I want to stay in touch. And then they don't. And we know that this this podcast is likely to fall on deaf ears. We understand that. And this goes back to the old, it's a manager tool slogan, which is in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is king or queen. When it comes to a search, when it comes to asking your network for an opportunity, staying in touch is the thing that will make you the one-eyed king or queen. Literally. So few people do it. 95% of the time, nothing happens. It's as if it fell into a a long, deep well. Say thank you to people for the stuff they do for you and follow up. If you will follow up, even if you mess up and you bring up that you're in a search too early when you're having coffee or we're having lunch, you'll still be okay if, in fact, you follow up. But too many people want it to go away because they fear it. And then when it lasts a long time, they compound their fear with complaining that it wasn't the way their fear asked them to have it be, which is short. And it's not going to be short, but it works. So email is okay. It really is, but you're probably going to do it backwards. You're going to send email to people furthest away from you in terms of your tiering of your your network, and we recommend it the other way around. Always remember, begin by reconnecting. Don't immediately jump to the bottom line. That's not the way you have a conversation with a friend or a professional associate about something that benefits you. Give them some idea of what you want. You know, Stay light, stay breezy. Don't say, I really need this because uh, that'll scare them. And then you've got to follow up. You've got to follow up. For some reason, people think that asking their network for help is incredibly difficult. It's not. Look, I'll give you an easy way to think about it. You're going to ask 100 people and five are going to help. 
So it's easy to ask. You know, 95 people are going to say no. So they're, or, or they're not going to do anything. Fine. Right. It's easy. This is easy. If I know they're not going to do anything, it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah. And conversely, if you know only five of a hundred or 5% are going to respond, you better get to that hundred if you want to have any yeah, shot. Exactly. Right. You, you better do it. It's basic human behaviors and politeness that make this thing work. And the last part of that is follow up, follow up, follow up. Cool. All right, my friend. Thanks. Thanks, partner. Yeah, we'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. Meantime, have a great one. So long.